Hello, and welcome to the Research Ops Podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops Community. I'm Holly Cole, the Executive Director of the Research Ops Community, and I'll be your host today. I'm assuming that if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about research operations. Our work in the community defines it as the roles, tools, and processes needed to support researchers in delivering and scaling the impact of research across an organization. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at our website, researchops.community, on our medium publications in English, French, German, and Portuguese by searching for Research Ops Community. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Team Reops. Find the group on LinkedIn and join in the conversation everywhere by searching for hashtag ResearchOps and hashtag ReOps. Today's podcast is the first half of a rambling and wonderful conversation that I had with Rowan Irvine at the end of 2022. Rowan talks about his time at REA, his work as the head of ResearchOps at Deputy, the amazing number of templates he has created and shares out openly with others, his personal reops philosophies on networking, helping others with improved decision-making, and understanding organizational culture. Look for the second half of this conversation coming soon. I hope you enjoy all of it. I'm here today with Rowan Irvine um, after a pause on the Research Ops Community Podcast. Welcome to the show, Rowan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. Like, I love talking. So when you were like, come to a podcast, I was like, of course I'm going to come here and talk to you about research jobs, Holly, because that's all I care about. Um, so thank you. And oh, thanks for like making such a great community and keeping it up and running because it's really nice. It's really nice being in a community fellow, like full of people who are wonderful. And uh, it takes a lot of work to keep that up. So like, I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, well, well, tell us a little bit about yourself at a top level. Where Where is it? Tell us, well, okay. So top of, top of the hat, where is it you work right now? What is it you do? Yeah, so I am based in Melbourne in Australia. So uh, bottom of the world, if you believe that it's round. And I am the research ops manager at Deputy and Deputy is a workforce management tool for shift workers. Uh, I've been here just over a year, so a year and a couple of months. And um, uh, prior to that, I was at a recruitment management tool and I was the, the lead researcher there. And prior to that, I was at REA Group, which is Australia's largest real estate listing website. Uh, and I was there for uh, four and a half-ish years. Uh, and then before that, I was uh, also a researcher at a digital agency for a short amount of time, but a very intense amount of time at a digital agency. And um, it, it's been really nice because uh, what, I mean, what I think a lot of people experience in research and then in ops is that you kind of just required to do the ops work anyway, if you're a researcher. And so the role before this one, like a large chunk was just doing ops work. And so when 
this role came up and they were like really looking forward like the job title was ops manager i was like oh hell yeah like they actually want to do some things and build mm -hmm. it build it right as law like as well as research because there's never no research but um they wanted to write and i was like yeah this is great so um it's been it's been really wild kind of just you know getting practices set up and then also exploring all of the new things that you want to try out like um when you've got the uh remit to be ops and then be like yeah cool i'm ops now i'm gonna just do a whole bunch of uh wild experiments to see what works and what doesn't work well okay so you you already went through your laundry list um I, I've got to ask, um, there's somebody else in the community who works at REA who may or may not mention you on a regular basis. You wouldn't happen to have worked with Benson Lowe on some projects while you were both at REA? I actually don't think Benson and I crossed paths at REA. Oh. He, he came in after I left. Oh. So... Um, yeah, I know, right? Like ships in the night, ships in the night. Uh, but like, yeah, <laughs> I'm always, I don't know, like every time we're talking about anything, Benson's always there. And I'm like, oh, hey, it's Benson. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, so he he inherited all of uh, the average things that I created and mm -hmm. the uh, and the things that were not created when he joined REA as the um, the research manager after I left. So, I, I would sorry, say... Benson. <laughs> Well, I would, I would say, considering the way that he talks about you, that they were likely not average. Well, that's very nice. I'm glad that we can we can we can say that Benson, not in the room, is talking about me great and loving my stuff. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Benson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> please, well, don't, please don't confirm or deny this, Benson. Please don't confirm or deny these things, Benson. No, no, he does. He he thinks he thinks the world of of you and your work. Um, a lot of what you've done in the past um, have had to do with some of that, like mentoring, teaching, organizing, and I'm not going to butcher some of these fun Australian names. I'm not even going to try. Uh, there are there are countries and places where I feel like I have a decent enough handle. Oddly enough, Australia is not one of them. So list me some of you, you, you did some, uh, you taught at a university, I think, or did a mentoring at a university. You did some yeah. community work. Talk to me about it. Yeah. There's like, um, I, I think like uh, overall a, a huge part of both how I learned about UX in generally, how I moved into the industry. And then I guess like what's helped me develop has always been community and people who are mm -hmm. like very generous with their time and their knowledge and like happy to like teach me um and so I've really tried to like make that also a core tenet of like how I move through work which is if I can give people like time to to help them advice you know methods like kind of anything or even just chatting like I, I always try and pick that up and it's it's led to like a lot of things and I think that like um the the list of like 
like random places that you end up teaching like UX and, and research, like like General Assembly, Academy XI, um, which were like, you know, they're the um, private institutions, like education institutions. But then um, RMIT Online, when RMIT, which is the university, they wanted to create a more digital course because they saw that um, a more sh like short courses like General Assembly. So they spun up a, a part of the business, which is RMIT Online. And part of that, they were offering UX courses. And so um, when they were developing that content, I got interviewed for the content about like, what is UX and what is research for? I think generally it's like, uh, like they had a design thinking one and they had a product design one, which they've done just to like use that on as well. And part of the appeal was, if you're going to do the short course, you're going to have people within the industry who are going to mentor, mentor you through it. Um, and so I got to do the first like design thinking course for RMIT online and, and like mentor it, which was really cool because it, like, I guess like it's a group of people that aren't necessarily within the tech industry. They're kind of like tech adjacent. So a lot of government or a lot of big um, companies were going into that course to upskill staff, um, which itself was super interesting because I just got to learn about like what was moving within bigger institutions as opposed to like the smaller, like small places like General Assembly and Academy XI, where what you end up doing is like you, you learn a lot about um, mostly people moving into the tech space in tech companies in startups and things like that. So that was really interesting. And so the mentoring component of it was um, trying to help people learn the basics of design thinking. And I think it's really interesting because um, it's all self-paced and, mm. and you can kind of put as much effort in it as you want. And the mm -hmm. spectrum of effort is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like um, the spectrum of effort it, to get to get the credential um, is pretty low. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that that's, you can you can look at the criteria and get it done and get the credit. And then there's always the people who are like, oh yeah, cool. I just spent like several hours on every single like minor project within this course. And sometimes I see the quality that came out and I was like, oh my God, like you're going to get snapped up so quickly and you're going to make so much money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that was really interesting. So I think that like uh, that part of it's really, really cool. Um, the smaller smaller places like um like academy xi and, and general assembly um they tended to be far more like community focused because i think that part of the appeal is the transition from wherever you're in into the new job and so a lot of that is people moving from careers um which is something that i did moving from like it into into ux um and so like it, it's like a different kind of like mentoring and relationship that you have like within those places than you do at like the universities both like super duper interesting i am also very much um obviously committed into communities and i mean not just communities of practice but communities and using that as a place to both learn and grow and, and share back out. Um, I think it's, 
really how we all continue to improve once we're out of school, you know, those of us that don't want to go back to school for whatever reason, um, or don't have the time, those kind of things. Um, speaking of which, communities in general, you have done uh, uh, quite a bit inside our community that people don't know about, um, at least for us. You stayed up all night and did some absolutely amazing social media work for us um the during our conference you also you know posted some really amazing linkedin posts beforehand um i'm wondering where that that the prose um comes from did you write a lot of papers no not at all but i do talk a lot of shit so there's like this, there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful way that you can turn all of the bullshit that I spin and uh, like, I don't know, just tangent with people into good quality content as well. If you put it in within a little bit of a structure. Um, <laughs> so like, I like, I have always enjoyed writing and also enjoy like taking things to like just the absolute extreme end so it's like if you start a joke like you just keep the joke going relentlessly until you hit the end where where like you've you've already run out of everything and I think like in doing that um I ended up developing a lot of um I don't know they're kind of like you get you get into like rhythms and cadences with how you how you write things and one of the things is just like throwing a million, throwing a million descriptives together and like as alliteration as far as you can go. And like funnily enough, like like it, it starts out like really funny and it's pretty much just shit posting like um in in chats. But like that that way of being like really expansive just allows you to kind of see like where you can cut back to make it are a good thing and I think a lot of like a lot of um the writing that I do developed from that and it's, it's a very specific thing and some people like, like it and some people just hate it as well like some people just cannot stand it and that's okay because I, I don't think I really hang out with them much anyway <laughs> you but, you um, just you pulled up one of my favorite writing words just then because, you know, Grendel came creeping a curse of God. That 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 example we all got of alliteration in, you know, the middle school literature class that, that all just stuck with us. Like the word alliteration is stuck in my head my entire life because of that. So uh, I appreciate absolutely. it. Now I'm going to go back and look at all of our our tweets and check for that mm. oh definitely check the live the live tweeting is like the live tweeting versus the like the posts like the live tweeting is me taking all of the skills that i learned note-taking and trying to like really capture people when they're when i've been interviewing them and then just putting it in, in like online as well because i think i started doing that i started doing that at a conference at ux australia 
years ago i think it was must have been like the second ux australia i went to because i was like man i can't remember anything i was like i can't remember anything and i can't write things down quick enough but i got my phone so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to like live tweet the talk that i'm in and then i'll go back and read it a bit later and it turns out that everyone really enjoyed that and so i started doing that and people are like this is sick uh and it got to the point where it people <laughs> like some some people were like Hey, Ron, which talk are you going to? I was like, oh, I'm going to go this one. It's like, cool, I'm going to go to the other one because <laughs> you're, you're going to capture it and then I can read it. And I was like, I was like, look, I really appreciate that. I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's how you do you. That's fine. And also, yes, here is the, the transcript of the event that I was just at. And it turns out like that's really useful for a lot of stuff as, as you were like, hey, do you want to do live tweets? And I was like, yeah, I want to do live tweets at, 12 a.m <laughs> so that was that was the night that you stayed up all night long um live tweeting for all of our conference speakers and I, i'm not sure that even all of them knew that you were up all night long most of them did um but uh, particularly the ones that were from you know non-united states that they, they all <laughs> knew and were ever so grateful but they were fantastic. And so many people asked us, who is this live tweeting for you? And I was like, I'll never tell. Um, <laughs> but it was it was amazing. And it the so you're actually live tweeting at UX Australia, but you also mentioned how you're taking notes in a, a, a session for um, uh, user interviews. Do you use that or did you use that as part of that as well? Nah, like I didn't live tweet out my uh, user interview sessions, which... Uh, no, 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 you know, not live tweeting, but taking down like what's important. How do you glean what's important? Those kinds of things. I try not to like, so So what I learned, right? So when I was at, when I was at REA, we did just, I did heaps and heaps of interviews. And there's like, you kind of get used to the cadence, let's say cadence a couple of times, but like the way in which people deliver stories and so, and it's not universal, but there are a few a few ways that people do it. And, and one of the things that they do is when you've asked them a question and when they're delivering it, they, they kind of spend a lot of time, I think like talking and setting up in their mind how they're going to deliver that content. And um, when you're listening out for that, like it sounds like when I was, I guess like earlier in my career, it sounded real like a real thing that i needed to listen to and i realized that actually like the the juicy nugget came like just after it mm. and so listening out for things like that became like really helpful in like spending my limited resources in as a note taker trying to pay attention on more like focused notes and i think that like that was super helpful and what I realized is that you kind of get to a point where if you're not aware of it, you start not listening to other parts of the conversation because you're only, you're like, you're looking for those, those juicy nuggets. And I actually noticed that a lot of, uh, a lot of people with like heaps of knowledge about a subject area, the kind of notes that they take and the things that they listen out for it seem really limited. And it can be really beneficial because they're only trying to save like the brain space to work on that, but trying to like 
communicate that on to another person is so hard because they don't have any of that extra context and and they've cut out that context and so I went from this like note development where it was uh like I write everything down and it's really hard to I kind of know when people are starting like the like the really juicy bits of the conversation to then kind of going back the other way which is well actually you know what like I can type fast enough now instead of like instead of trying to capture and think and analyze what they're saying, I am just literally going to try and capture it as verbatim as possible because it wasn't about me knowing in the room, the value was actually about me being able to communicate and connect that story with the people who weren't in the room, um, who didn't have that opportunity to like build that connection with the person. And so it's like, through that process then like the way that I like listen to um like presentations and the way that um I, I kind of like live tweet is that same kind of capturing of what people are saying or trying to capture the essence of what they're saying um sometimes that involves like literal verbatim quotes and some like people say funny shit as well like just in in the way that they deliver things and so and you want to try and capture that you want to try and like capture that when you're like sharing someone else's story um so i try and do that a lot uh especially with anything that's like super technical or or things that i i assess as there's a whole bunch of context that people know to really be able to connect with what information is being shared right now so i'll go harder or deeper in what they're saying and trying to capture all of that when it's like more generic i wouldn't say generic content but like when it's something that is um maybe something that has a lot of stuff written about it that's when i i, I start to condense it down into paraphrasing i guess if you go through it like there's so i use this service um thread reader mm -hmm. yep. and if you if you go through my thread reader you can probably pick up all of the um, tweets or, or like all of the talks that I've I've tweeted out from every other conference that I've been to. Um, there's, there's actually a lot of them. I went back, I went back after we did reops and I was like, oh man, it's like so many talks that I've written. And you can kind of see those, like those different styles of um, explaining, explaining content. That's a really, really long way of uh, saying, yeah, I did stay up all night and I loved tweeting about reops and I probably would have just stayed up all night anyway to go to the conference. It was what I really wanted to get out of it though. So thank you. Because <laughs> it is Hell about yeah. what matters. It's, it's, it is about gleaning what's important about what's being said and lifting that up and sharing that out with who's the important people you know i mean that's knowledge management is so much of what we do and twitter for better or for worse let's not let's it's going to be old news soon um whatever's going on there uh, so let's not devolve but um twitter is a a curated um insight into yeah. what what's happening in you know, for 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 better or for worse these these are people talking about their experiences so that was it was a it was essentially this incredibly 
well curated set of insights about the conference. And we really appreciated it. Thank you. You are so welcome. I, like, anytime, anytime. Hearing the like the 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 mind state um and how you developed it and, and got there was wonderful. Uh -huh. Um but thinking about like how that um, came about, how you got there, um, talk to me about you know knowledge management, those kind of things. What's your overall philosophy about research ops? Like, how do you, how are you trying to run it at um, deputy now? What are you trying to do there? What's the first yeah. thing you're doing? Well. I'll talk about my philosophy first because I think it's something that I've been, I have been developing and, and it's like one of those things where there are certain ways that you individually will move through work and there are certain things that are, um, you're good at generally, like the things that come super easy to you that everyone struggles with. Now, for me, something that was, I guess, something that I was just naturally doing all the time was networking or connections or like building things having like conversations around like official communication structures and that was something that happened like i've been doing like my whole life and then when i got into when i got into research um being able to have all those conversations with lots of different people about lots of different subjects and generally just as like a research mindset being inquisitive and interested about how things work being able to go out and do that suddenly opened up all of these possibilities in how I was connecting the research work that I was doing to everywhere that existed within the business right and so like as, as I guess, like maybe like a principle that, that I follow and it turns out that I follow and I'm only kind of just, uh, I guess, like formalizing it is that like, I really, I see research as a conduit within a business because we have a like unique position to be able to connect lots of disparate people with different ideas of what's going on different like um you know views of reality that are happening at the same time um and often kind of one step removed from a lot of the political landscape that's going on um we have that ability to connect and bring people together using like an insight or the knowledge that we're generating as the key component of how we're how we're doing that because like just the way that I think that understanding people needs to happen is actually the way that you do good stakeholder management, which is like you, you go and understand like who are all the people and then you go hang out with them and you're like, oh, cool. What are you doing? What do you want? Like how, how does that fit into like, you know, the grand plans and then you bring all that back and then you go and you do the research and then you like, you find the insights and you connect them with it. it it's like this, constant constant like learning and understanding people 
and then making sure that the things that you're generating or creating connects them to it. So I, I think like as a philosophy, right, like one of it is like research is a conduit and we use like knowledge as that um, vehicle to move through and connect people through an organization. The second component that I guess I have is um, like the role is helping people make better decisions. And so every, every time I'm kind of looking at research, it's to help people make better decisions. Like I'm not always the one making decisions. I'm not always the one like kind of in a project all the time, but I can help people have the things that they need at a better quality than they currently have to make those decisions. And so I think that like those two components are, are like really important with how I approach just research and, and ops because I'm like, well, I'm here to help everyone make a better decision. Part of the way that like I know people need to make better decisions is having that connection to everyone else at the same time about like their decisions and their philosophies so that they can collectively make good decisions or like make better decisions. Um, and so I really, really focus on like trying to enable that within organizations that I'm in. And I think that there's so much that you can do with like the broader components of what fits within two research ops to make that happen. Whereas like a lot of the times when you're a like practical researcher, so you're out there doing the research, sometimes you're not going to be able to have the impact and the reach with the insights that you're having or the projects that you're working on. And you kind of see that when like people get siloed and people get really frustrated that they can't have the impact that they want. And like people aren't listening to anything that I'm delivering to them, which is all true. Like, you know, lots of people don't listen to research. Yeah. Um, but, you know, half the time it's not research problems that that like, it's not like practical research problems that are the reasons for that. And so I think like the third, like, turns out there's a lot of components here, Holly, to my philosophy that I'm just discovering. So the third component is, is like organizational culture, right? Yeah. So I've got, I've got being a conduit, um, helping people make better decisions and then looking at organizational culture because again, like the unique perspective that you get as a researcher and, and it might just be the way that I move through my work, which is super informal, always happy to talk to everyone, love a tangent. And so I end up talking mm -hmm. to like finance and security and legal and like CX and the C-suite and like the front desk people, like, and all of them have like incredible knowledge and insights and perspectives that help inform what the organizational culture is and getting a really clear idea of that culture that's going on and those cultural practices they're what really allow you to say, well, what is a research problem and what is a like business problem and what is an organizational problem? And you can't solve, like you can't solve all problems with research most of the time, maybe some of the time, but like most of the time that's not going to work. But like, I know a lot of times, especially like when I was 
earlier on in my career, like, you know, exasperated and like, oh, why don't they fucking listen to these bloody great insights that I've delivered them? And, uh, you know, you just kind of get in that cycle of being like frustrated that you're not being heard. And then you continue to do that same process of, well, you know what, I'm going to do the same briefing process with the same people and then deliver the same insights and then experience the same frustration. Uh, and so um, I, I feel like moving into ops has, has broadened oh, like how I think research can actually impact a business. And, and to be honest, like I, I see like massive, massive things um, that I've been a part of that are really, really like, like maybe not necessarily you would think of as research, but they all come from this starting point of someone doesn't know something or someone needs to know something. And a lot of times they're like, Rowan, how would I find this out? And then I'm like, suddenly I'm in a research conversation. <laughs> how might think, we? Yeah, how might we? How might we? Exactly. Everything's everything's a how might we um and, and so i think that like those components are, are my approach and my philosophy to research ops um and oh and, and like doing all that from a bottom up as well like uh like it's like to understand the cult like the organization culture to understand like where the conduits could be and to understand like what decisions people need to make you need to hang out with people you need to know them you need to you need to really understand them because otherwise you're gonna make like some you're gonna make some assumptions and it's gonna bite you in the ass. Like when when you're like, oh, this person just needs this, and then that is absolutely not what they need because they need to feel confident that they can um look smart in front of their boss. And you're like, you know, that's like a really valid thing. And you're like, well, let me make you look really smart. I want you to get promoted and make more money. <laughs> This is, that's the other thing. It's like, I always want people to get promoted and make more money and we can do that through research and great projects. Yeah. You always want to start with those bottom level hierarchy of needs. Be like, I want you to feel safe and secure, man. Safe and secure. So right. I, I feel it. I feel it. One of, one of the things that you do a lot in our community that helps people and really helps our organization and that you kind of share out to everyone you are like constantly like just like oh i made this template i made this i made this thing and and you're like constantly sharing out this and that and and would it be safe to say that part of of the things that you use in your organization today are templates yeah yeah absolutely to varying levels of uh, like success as well. I think that like, uh, you know, operationalizing anything is often looking at what are, what are the practices that do not need to be bespoke. You know, if you've ever seen like, uh, like Simon Wardley and the Wardley maps, like he mm. goes from like Genesis into commodity and like the evolution and a lot of research ops, like now, I think like we're looking at components of the research process that people don't necessarily need to do bespoke to them or to their organization. Like thing, something that's like really, I mean, 
not not to go into like every detail but like that's a that's a mindset right like looking at things looking at systems seeing patterns that's what researchers are built for you know like we go in and we're like oh i found this pattern here go make a billion dollars off it um and so when you're in that and then when you move into like maybe like a level of abstraction higher so like i'm not conducting the research i'm looking at how the research is conducted and you and you look at it and you're like there are things that people are spending a lot of time on that they're really frustrated about that they're not like being able to put 100% of themselves into because it it sucks and generally that's the point like to be honest generally that's the point where i'm like something here can be templatized something here can be automated something here doesn't need to happen um as a starting point for like what i can fix and so like lots of templates that i've created and and all the like all the stuff that i share out in the community they're all things that at some point i was like this is something that I need that's really helpful for my situation. And I bet someone is having a problem similar to this one that it might help them go from zero to one. So they don't have to do that and they can go, they, you know, and then they can build on it. I actually love, so that, that research, um, research skills matrix that I made. So that mm. was part of at, at REA, there was this real significant problem. Um, well, I mean, at REA, there were significant problems. Sorry, yeah. Benson. Uh, but like when I was there, everything's fixed now. So that's good. He came in and everything's great. But one of the problems that we were experiencing in the design organization, which at one point was about 40 designers, I think, um, when I was there at its, at its peak, was that um, it was really hard to understand everyone's level of knowledge about design which made it really hard to know who do i spend time mentoring and how much involvement do i have within their research projects because if i don't know their like very very loose skill level at, at this stuff i have to like sit with them every single time and understand that and then at the same time that like so I've been running a lot of projects and that was something that I was like, we need a, a lot. I need to look at this because there, there's something here that could make everyone's lives easier. Mm-hmm. There's this other component of like a UX grad program. So I'd been, I'd been making the UX grad program at REA and it was like, they hadn't, they hadn't got a framework of assessing, like how do you develop someone into a UXer from a grad program because it was created off the back of the engineering um, grad program. And, you know, like a lot of tech companies, engineering grad programs are a lot like you enjoy technology. So we're just going to put you in some random places and then you're going to learn around people and build. And it's not that I think that's bad. I think that like, if you've got a culture and a maturity within your discipline within an organization, you would have already had a lot of the components that create that support and development like network to build, you know, new people coming into like a discipline for UX. And and it's really weird because it's still the same in nearly every organization that like I kind of see, 
there's never enough resources to be able to just drop people or grads into the organization and then just learn user experience as they like develop. And so I was like, well, let's make a skills matrix. And it was originally like six components of what user experience was. And so we were like, well, we've got visual design, we've got interaction design, information architecture, research, content design, and um, I think the last one was like management. And it was a way to define the leveling, but also mostly just focus on core skills that we could look at and say, like, what are you good at? Like, what are you gravitating towards? And, and where is the distribution within the organization about that? Now, I mean, it ended up not getting picked up. Like, uh, I did a bunch of work on it. Like, I built the UX research component of it. And then uh, a couple very cool people um, were working on other components of it. Like, Daniel Azapati did the content design um, component of it. Um, and that was really sick. But uh, the rest of the designer wasn't interested in using it. So I was like, well, look, I got this really sick UX research leveling thing that I can like go and have like I can go and have conversations with people and say based on this where do you think you're operating and then work with them to if they want to go up like work with them to get up and if they're like I'm pretty happy here I'm like great like these are the stuff that you can go off and you can run off and do um and we had um at the time um Jess Vitez who was uh like transitioning into a research role um it was also a, like something that i was trying to develop to be like as you're moving into to research like what are the areas that you're already like pretty pretty ready to for that full research role and what are the areas that you might want to like develop and, and build up and so it became like this pretty great tool to go back and forth and then i left rea and i was like well this is really great i'll just post this somewhere uh, i don't know where i posted it but um desi who uh you might see in in that in that template i linked to desi's version of this because like several years later i posted the framework again and she she wrote back and was like oh hey you're the person who sent this to me here is my version of it that i built off <laughs> your template and I looked at it and I was like, I was like, this, this is like way better. This is way better than my one because she's obviously then put like a whole bunch more thought into like framing and categorizing and like condensing it to make more sense for like her context. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant. Like this is just some random thing that I was like, oh, I wonder if anyone will want this. And then she's like, oh yeah, here's the better version of it. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and so I, I think that like that practice, like that taught me that like, if you're going to create something, um, share it with everyone else. They're going to make it better as well. Like, they're going to put all their extra content on it. And it's going to have a life beyond just the life that it had in that in that one moment in time. And so I try and do that with a lot of things. And so, like, all of my templates are, like, things that were really useful at a certain point in time that I think other people can then use and develop as, like, a a basic for a, like a lot of their practices but also challenge and say well we do things differently and i'm like well that's sick please put out like 
a different version like of, of your method and then we can have like then people suddenly have two ways of approaching this problem and then four ways and then eight ways um and so heaps of my heaps of my templates are that like i think at the job after rea we were really focused on jobs to be done and so i got a heap of like documents around like how to run jobs to be done um interviews and note taking and synthesis and how to do how to do your synth so it ends up in the format of jobs to be done without um going too granular too early and losing the benefit of what you're actually trying to do with that framework you know from my perspective um and again like people hit me up for that all the time like lots of lots of people are like my company wants to do jobs to be done and i'm like oh great cool here's my experience with it here are the templates and here's kind of how you can manage it so that it's less overwhelming but you mm. still capture that that context um and most of that like you know most of that need and that desire also comes out of necessity of being the only researcher and just knowing that there is no hope in hell of me doing all of the research within a company and so stuff has to be um embedded in other people's practice like you cannot be responsible for generating every insight because you then become the bottleneck mm -hmm. and if you're never able to like if you're never able to set up a practice or a way of generating insights for your company that doesn't involve you like you get into this super weird thing where someone's just going to go around you like anyway like they're just going to go around you because you're the blocker and so you got to kind of do this balance where it's like, when is it important for me to be involved? When is it not important for me to be involved? I think at REA group, like it was really great to, to get to a point with like user testing. And I say user testing because it wasn't usability and it wasn't like exploratory interviews. It was like a mishmash of both. With user testing, I was like, there's not a heap of value for me running your sessions unless like no one within your squad has that skill and that capability in which case i will get involved and i'll run it and then over the course of like you know one or two whole projects i will like demonstrate give you the opportunity to run give you critique and then get you to a point where i'm confident that you can be in a room with someone training ask a great question yeah i know like training and um uh and then there were people that you would go and do that for a single session and you'd be like, I'm super confident that I don't have to worry about that with you. Um, and I feel like that same mindset is how I, I think about like all the operations practices as well, which is well, what do I need to be involved in? What shouldn't I need to be involved in? And where do I need to be within like the decision-making chain? to affect the change that I need for this, which is something that I discovered trying to like, try, trying to do like the, the op stuff that I was doing at deputy, which was, which was really interesting. Um, just about like, um, you know, you are running into a research problem, but it's not a research solution. Mm. You, need, you need to do that, which is why that, um, 
all culture part of the practice is like really important because that's that's where you're going to understand the real conflicts absolutely absolutely for sure well i want to try to wrap us up with your hot take so is it reops or resops and why it's reops because it's easy to say just like straight up reops not resops because there's like don't soften the re don't soften the 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 re with an s i like i like reops as well i don't know rolls off the tongue Well, maybe it doesn't roll off the tongue, and that's why I like it. There's a like real hot take there, but yeah. I personally just don't like. It's not research. Res- <laughs> just, just like it's not <laughs> DevOps. You know, it's not DevOps. Oh. It's, de- it's development DevOps. I know. I probably a research designs. Menager. <laughs> No, menagerie. We're French, so. What what is what is yeah. your final? Have, have you got a hot take for me? Ooh, I, I mean, okay. Hot takes. Uh, are they trying to get rid of research within the industry, and move no. the power center all the way to product management? No, no. I say that product management as as it exists right now didn't exist until recently. Um, and it is a, an industry that is trying to establish itself a little bit more. And as such, it's always trying to move a little bit faster, have a little bit more understanding a little bit more authority in the way that it puts forth its ideas and the way that research has kind of set itself up has been problematic for product management. And as such, they, yeah, they've tried to do a lot more research, but no, I do not think that product management as a whole is trying to take over research. They can't because they can't do the traditional jobs of product management on top of everything else they have to do. They can't be the the buffer between understanding what the business needs and what marketing needs and what development needs and what design and users need. If not, they'd just be CEOs. So no. Yeah, not. I mean that's but what about what about okay, so I think like that's a really good point. They would just be CEOs. There's like a really big thread of PMs being mini CEOs. There aren't that many companies in the world and not, you just can't. Well, no, no. So they don't need to be the CEO of the company. They can be the CEO of their product. Mm, That just wouldn't work. (laughs) They can try. I love it. As an individual, someone can try, but at an organizational level, it wouldn't happen. 
So as an industry, it's not happening. Okay, so then there is like a lot of CPOs, like chief product officers, mm -hmm. and a lot of like, you know, C-level product, which often encompasses like engineering and design and then research within design as well as product on its side. That's where my hot take really would be is that research doesn't live under design. Ooh, let's talk about that. We don't so, have time. Why? I was just getting next time. Next time. Story. Do you want to do a six hour one next? Because like, mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't even get to tell you all of the other random templates that, and frameworks and other things that I have. Well, next cooking. time we will, we definitely need to talk about templates, frameworks, and setups. Bada boom. No, I like that. I like that. I mean, we should, we should just do, if it's not a podcast, we should just do an event where we talk about Absolutely. Yep. Hell yeah. All right. Well, this has been the Research Apps Podcast with Holly Cole and Rowan Irvine. Thank you very much. <laughs>